Hello, and thank you for joining our podcast, where we're going to be talking about our theme for Advent, which is going to be what is Grinchmas and how it relates to Matthew 1, verses 18 through 23. And we're going to be looking at our verses tonight, added the voice, paraphrase. And then we're going to be looking about how these verses relate to two uh, very well-known Christmas stories, uh, the first one being a Charlie Brown Christmas and the second being How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So let's go ahead and kick off and start in Matthew 1, verse 18 through 23. And I want, as we read this, a few questions to be answered. The first is, God does not hide who his lineage is, that he actually mentions who all the black sheep of the family are. And let's think about who those characters are and why that's important. Two, in particular, think of why Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 is kind of the hallmark verse of the scripture we're going to read today. Uh, and really, lastly, um, what does this prophecy from Isaiah say about God's sovereignty? The long genealogy is given for very good reason in the Matthew story, and it's to show how Jesus fulfills the prophecies that tell us that the anointed one will be the descendant of Abraham and of David. It's interesting to note that some of the women in Jesus' line are given to show how God is gracious to not just those who are faithful, but to everyone, even people like prostitutes and adulterers. Some of the women listed aren't even Israelites. They were strangers and they were foreigners. And it also foreshadows that all people God will adopt in his church through Jesus. Some of the children in God's family are conceived under really weird circumstances like Tamar's twins being conceived as she played a harlot or like King Solomon being bored to adulterous parents like Bathsheba and David. And now that we have uh, really establish that this is an unusual family we're talking about today. What happens next shouldn't really be a surprise. That there's a baby conceived also under very strange circumstances. Now let's kick it off in verse 18. So here finally is the story of the birth of Jesus the Anointed. And it's a remarkable story. Mary was engaged to marry Joseph, son of David. They hadn't married, and yet sometime well before their wedding date, Mary learned that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, because he was kind and upstanding and honorable, wanted to spare Mary shame. He did not wish to cause her more embarrassment than necessary, or a public stoning outside of town. And this is remarkable because Mary had never known a man. She and Joseph hadn't even spent much time together before. But they are pledged to each other and their wedding feast has already been planned. Now here it's interesting to stop and note that Mary at this time more than likely would have been 13 or 14 years old and she had never even kissed a man. She was a virgin and yet she was pregnant. This is totally miraculous. But on the other hand, Joseph suspects that Mary has cheated on him and he knows that he will have to break their engagement and he decides to do so quietly. Mary understands that it is God and the person of the Holy Spirit who has made her pregnant. And that's kind of hard to explain. Now let's get back to verse 20. Now when Joseph had decided to act on his instinct, a messenger of the Lord came to him in a dream. And this is what the messenger said. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to wed Mary, 
and bring her into your home as your wife. She did not sneak off and sleep with somebody else. Rather, she conceived a baby, and she now carries it through the miraculous miracle of the Holy Spirit. Here's her key verse here. She will have a son, and you will name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because this Jesus is the person who will save all people from their sin. Joseph woke from his dream and did exactly what the messenger had told him to do. He married Mary and brought her into his home as his wife. And when the baby was born, Joseph named him Jesus. Years and years ago, Isaiah, a prophet of Israel, foretold a story of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. A virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew name that means God with us. That's where we're going to end our scripture tonight. I want to talk a little bit about the story of the Grinch as it's this year's theme and why we chose it, but also how really the character and story of the Grinch uh, really plays well into this Matthew scripture. And also we're going to also throw in some stuff from a Charlie Brown Christmas. And also know that the versions that we're actually going to be talking about are the older original versions. So the Charlie Brown Christmas is going to be the 1965 version and the Grinch Stole Christmas is going to be the 1966 version. But recently, my daughter and me um, were watching How the Grinch Stole Christmas for the first time. And my daughter's four. We had read it to her several times and she absolutely fell in love with the character of the Grinch. She thought he was hilarious. Uh, We watched it together recently again um, And I know that as it's my favorite story, um, I was really excited to watch it again, and my daughter totally loved that. She really liked the Grinch because he did something that was unexpected. Instead of giving gifts like Santa, he steals everybody's. And uh, I don't know why, but in her four-year-old mind, she thought that was hilarious. Uh, But as a Christmas story, uh, I really wondered... Um, what had really provoked Dr. Seuss to write uh, The Grinch? Uh, was it uh, that he's some anti-villain, uh, um, really looking to um, uh, really bring along uh, some bad thoughts about Christmas? Is it a work of secularization? Uh, is it a hollowing out of the holy from the holiday? Uh, is it replacing a sacred celebration of Christ's birth with maybe something that's more vague like holiday spirit. Um, I really don't know, but I know the Grinch follows a basic holiday theme, and it's this, that Christmas is not about the stuff we get, but it's about being together with family and loving one another. And that's similar to a Charlie Brown Christmas, because it has the same basic premise as the Grinch, but it manages to make Christ the antithesis uh, of commercialism and materialism that both react to the phoniness of Christmas in various ways. That Charlie Brown reacts with depression and anxiety, and the Grinch responds with bitterness and spite. But both characters loathe the same basic thing, that to them Christmas is something that's fake, it's loud, it's excessive, and it's meaningless. That both characters must reach this sort of Christmas spirit before they can learn the true meaning of Christmas. The Grinch takes all excesses of Christmas away, And Charlie Brown has all the excesses ruined for him. But in the end, Charlie Brown rediscovers the story of Christ's birth. And really, underneath all the cultural stuff, 
we know that the Grinch also determines the true meaning of Christmas, that it's something that doesn't come from a store, but perhaps it's something more. I think the question we have to ask ourselves, though, is what is what are they talking about? That the book and the films really are not really clear on this. We know that the Grinch hears the Who singing and is moved to joy and festiveness in the absence of presence. But why are they joyful and festive? We do catch a little bit of a hint of this in their song Fahu Forays, which was written by Seuss, and it suggests that the real spirit of Christmas it can be found in us being together. It comes when we're heart to heart and hand to hand. And even though this sounds totally awesome, in the place of Christ, it still isn't enough. That family holiday traditions still really aren't a good enough reason to celebrate Christmas. I wonder if how the Grinch stole Christmas might be another example of secularization that really happened in much of the 20th century. And it's kind of a phenomenon that happened where we would take religious worldviews and then remove their actual substance with something that was empty or hollow, that, in essence, they could have all the moral and formal trappings of a spiritual holiday, but they might not actually point to the source, which is Christ. But here's the flip side of that, that sometimes stories turn out to be rather beautiful, and I think that's the story of the case with the Grinch, that if you look at the actual story, it's actually a really cool story that's easy to remember, and many of us, it is one of our favorite Christmas stories. But How the Grinch Stole Christmas may present a hollowed-out Christmas, but there's also a thickness to it as well. That the Grinch shows us that it's not about the individual and it's not about family, that it's about a communal tradition. Because the Grinch is a story not about the Grinch learning to enjoy a season. It's about him entering into a community with a rich tradition. Because we know this because in the last shot of the Grinch, we see him around the Christmas dinner table carving the roast beast. For a variety of reasons, though, our culture in the U.S. has increasingly shed its shared traditions over the last 100 years. This is something to really think about. Christmas is unique because so much of the entire country is transformed. Houses are decorated, the night changes color, Salvation Army bell ringers appear, stores change, the stories we even tell change. We break out the cider, leaves fall, and we travel. But for the most part, the traditions that we share are very thin. Christmas lights, a tree, presents, shopping, Black Friday, chaos, visiting family, these are just not really rich traditions. Their meaning can vary dramatically from family to family, with perhaps the only common significance of Christmas being that we call it Christmas. It's a self-referential tradition, and that's what's so strange about the Grinch. It reflects a culture largely united by a tradition, and it may be only celebrated in community. And that's a great thing because the Grinch is not a story of how a person came to love a holiday. It's the story of how a self-imposed outsider came to love a community through a holiday tradition. And no, this really does not convey the incarnation as Linus' famous monologue does in A Charlie Brown Christmas, but it does remind us that we are carnate, that we live in communities, that we belong to history as a part of larger traditions. And in its own way, 
the Grinch reawakens us to a sense of tradition which is framed by the church and our local community. This is really the point of us using the Grinch during our Advent season. The Grinch is the ultimate villain that experiences redemption. Back to our key verse for a moment in Matthew 1 verse 21, that Mary will have a son and she will name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because this Jesus is the person who will save all people from their sin. We see that the Grinch is saved by community. We too are saved by community as well. That's the purpose of the body of Christ. So then we are to reach others through community. The reason for community is to provide encouragement, accountability, and an avenue for corporate worship. In essence, we can't do Christmas alone. Christmas is to be shared within community because community changes us. Community changed the Grinch as well. So what is Grinchmas? Grinchmas is doing Christmas as a community. So I pray that during this Christmas season that you find a great community to settle in with so that you could experience the joy of Christmas because uh, Christmas is not meant to be shared um, with just family or even by yourself, but it's meant to be shared with community because in community we all grow. And so uh, I also just uh, pray that uh, you experience a great Advent season and um if you're looking for a place of worship, we would love to have you at the Salvation Army. Um, so give us a call sometime or come down and check us out. As we actually have the Grinch making appearances on Sunday morning and you never know what he might be up to. Uh, so come down and join us at 115 Crescent. We'd love to have you. Have a great night. Take care.